0: Welcome to A Better HR Business, the podcast that looks at how HR consultants and HR tech firms grow their businesses and how they help their employers to get the best out of their people. Remember, for show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Okay, let's get started.
1: Hello, welcome back to the show. Great to have you along. And I am delighted to welcome back Vessi Tasheva. Vessi runs an amazing business in the global diversity, inclusion and belonging side of things called Vessi.com and Vessi's been on the show in the past way back in August, 2019. And so I'm delighted to have her back to talk about the evolution of the business as a person and all stuff to talk about, particularly the concept of person market fit, which I think is a pretty cool little concept that we can have a look at. But firstly, Vessi, thank you very much for coming back today. Great to see you.
2: Hey, Ben. Great to be back. When you said August 2019, it's like time traveling. Just <laughs> over four years ago now, wow. everything in life was so different. I mean, how we worked, what was going on in the business.
1: Absolutely, yeah. We were so young and naive back then.
2: I know, I know. Coronavirus,
1: what's that? Yeah.
2: And you've had so many episodes since then.
1: Yeah, gosh, you can't shut me up. I think that's the problem. (laughs) But yeah, so thank you very much for coming back. And for folks listening, you are like me. You're from one place living somewhere else. I think originally from Bulgaria, living in beautiful Ireland. Is that right?
2: Indeed. Between 2019 and now, that changed a bit as well. So I do go to Dublin. I still go to Dublin, but I'm now uh, in Meath.
1: Oh, right. Beautiful. Yeah, which is a wonderful part of the world, in the countryside, if you're listening to this, get out there. So, Vessi, let's talk about this concept of person market fit. So, for folks listening to this who may not know what that means, I guess in the tech world, you hear about product market fit a lot. So, it's around saying, well, we're going to create this new startup and whatever the product is, it needs to match what the market wants. So, let's get that fit, the product market fit. I know you've kind of had an evolution in your own thinking around person market fit. So can I get you to do two things? One is just set the scene with what is Vesi.com, What are actually the services you provide? And then secondly, let's turn to person market fit and what you think that concept is.
2: Yeah, of course. So Vesi.com it's a DEI and mental health consultancy. We operate globally. The last four years, we've been recognized by industry leaders, start leaders in the space. And and uh, We mostly work with tech companies, pre ipo some public in North America and Europe, helping them create more inclusive workplaces. That's in short, we can go so much in detail on this one. And perhaps as a business on the surface, it hasn't changed much because if you look at the website from a few years ago and now, you know, you see our diversity in the workplace reports, you'll see... Similar services, but what really changes, I think, especially for any small organization, is how the personal purpose can evolve of the leaders or the founders. So, you know, whether we call it like a person market fit or personal purpose market fit, (laughs) let's just say in short, purpose market fit, that is something that has evolved for me. Personally, and it shapes the business as well. Like an example for that would be when we were doing the diagnostics of state of inclusion for various organizations, and we'll be measuring like what's the level of belonging, etc. And we will see that more often than not, like it boils down to what's the level of trust in the organization. And typically that would be trust in the leadership. So since then we have created courses on trust driven inclusive leadership to reflect that but also on kind of interpersonal trust self trust think about self trust as the level of self confidence the employees have when they're thinking about their career path within the organization so imagine your your manager is coming to you and is saying hey you know I would love to promote you or I think you should apply for this internal job and How do you know whether to go for it or not? Even if others are seeing the potential in you, but maybe your whole life, other people have been telling you what they think is best for you. And you just feel kind of stuck and lost. Mm -hmm. Sure, everyone wants a promotion, but sometimes it's not the right thing for us. So do we know if it's the right thing? So that would be an example of self-trust. Interpersonal trust, I think it's kind of clear. But the trust piece is also something that I was examining separately throughout my dissertation in a master's I did with Trinity College Dublin, and it was in psychoanalytic psychotherapy. So it was a very much in-depth examination with psychoanalytic thinking and research on when we experience trust for the first time and how it shapes our sense of self. So it was very interesting as VESA.com was evolving over the years with what we were seeing in the organizations and helping them strategize, helping them implement, then on the other spectrum, seeing what it looks like for the individual since their pretty much conception and throughout childhood, adolescence, and then adulthood.
1: I can see the the development, the natural evolution. So people say DNI or Diversity, Inclusion, Equity, and Belonging, and sometimes it's spoken about in terms of frameworks and programs and you know, that starts off with a speech or something like that. And then let's get some workshops going and stuff like that. But the way you've described it is that there's this human element that's maybe been missing in the past. And hence, that's why you've delved into the psychotherapy and some of these personal support areas to support those changes. It's hard to put into words, but you're bringing the individual level to these DNI programs. Is that right?
2: It is. I mean, in the career paths that individuals have in an organization, you know, do they feel empowered? Do they feel their curiosity for self-knowledge is encouraged? That is definitely part of it. And in regards to my own purpose, when I was doing career coaching way back, I knew there was something very exciting about it. People going beyond their limiting beliefs. Mm. And that was very different from doing community work, organizing events, you know, having like marketing jobs and stuff like that. But with the career piece, it almost didn't fit my professional profile at the time. But there was something really exciting and working in diversity and inclusion, I was closer to my purpose, helping people remove internal and external barriers so they live happier, healthier lives in the workplace. And what psychotherapy is doing and me getting accredited in this area is helping them achieve that outside of the workplace as well. So if an organization I'm working with, the leadership with hiring managers, with the employees, with the employee resource groups. Essentially, everyone is a stakeholder in different ways. In psychotherapy, I'm working with the adult 101, and it's a very different type of work, but these are two complementary pieces in my purpose market fit.
1: So to clarify then, purpose market fit or person market fit, that is around not only ensuring that the product or the service matches what the market needs, but that it matches what you as a person, as a founder, as a a leader, and potentially the team also need. Is that right? It's that combination? I'm just trying to clarify what is person market fit or what is purpose market fit?
2: Yeah, I think you got it. We can also think it is inspired by frameworks like Ikigai, where you look at what you're good at, what you love, what you can be paid for and what the world needs. That was a way of thinking that helped me polish it more and more over the years. But as you said, when you're the founder, you are the one that is polishing their own vision for what the business will be and can accomplish and aspires to be and to become. So it's a never-ending job. I don't think it's only based on the market. You need to see beyond where the market is today. So, you know, you can look at the market size, what is the average deal size at the moment, or your target customers, those things, run the numbers, think of the potential channels, what's your unique value proposition, have your lean counts of sorts, but You really need to have something beyond that. And maybe it's a vision that's driven by your purpose. Maybe it's a gut feeling. Maybe it's a bit of both. Or self-knowledge, going into deep work within yourself to know who you are to get those further places. But I think all of that becomes one, in a way, especially when you're solo entrepreneur. If you have co-founders, it can be a bit different. Obviously, everyone evolves as well. But when it's just you, you need to constantly explore to find that renewable energy. <laughs> Use it as a source of renewable energy to keep you going. Because it can be quite lonely sometimes. So you just get tired and you're like, why am I even doing that? Or get a bit bored. So you need to have something that constantly excites you
1: and gives you that level of energy right like a car that self-charges because you've incorporated what drives you what you enjoy into the business more of it and then people listening to this might go well if I add stuff to that I like or that's purpose driven does that send me down the path of not necessarily becoming a successful business or it slows down business growth what are your thoughts on that
2: I think each one of us needs to have a very honest conversation internally on the topic of money. What do we want to achieve and why it's important to us, what success looks like in that regard. And that doesn't mean we should give up on our purpose. We can have both, but we need to be very honest in both ways. And if, let's say, part of our personal purpose is creating generational wealth, and that's our own definition of success that's perfectly fine but it doesn't mean we need to sacrifice everything else just for growing the biggest business or we don't have to sacrifice one thing for another I actually think that working less for example helps you build a better business helps you build a business that doesn't require you working 100 hours a week just to make ends meet or to build a successful business. How can you have a very successful business by working five hours a week or 10 hours a week? Yeah. Then you're doing something right. The product or services are the right ones. You have the correct pricing. You're not just doing work for the sake of work, thinking that being busy is what makes a business work.
1: That's excellent advice. I had a conversation years ago with Aaron Ross. He's a... Best-selling author, kind of set up the whole Salesforce sales and lead generation system, and he kind of does the speaking circuit. and I spoke to him at a conference, and he spoke to that point because he's got a huge family. He's got like eleven kids, like literally eleven kids, and he wants time, but he also wants the money as well. You know, it's eleven college funds or whatever. So he spent time thinking about that: how to leverage time and money and getting paid well for stuff. And it's around creating business models, as opposed to how many clients do I have? And what am I doing for each client? And that's the model itself. And you might have a few different sort of product lines, service lines. So I know we spoke years ago, but you've since evolved, maybe when we first spoke, it was just you doing stuff, but you've gradually built out a team, but it's not just a local team. I'm curious, How does that team work or what does it look like? And then secondly, why is it done in such a way? Because from my understanding, there's there's data protection issues as well, which has affected how you build that team out. So maybe you could explain how you've evolved it in that way.
2: Yeah. I mean, at the very beginning, it was just me. but you quickly run out of all of the expertise possible, one person can have lived experiences especially in the type of businesses that we are so we have people spread up across the globe we work async it's very efficient because you know if someone wants to work early in the morning and someone else late at night they don't have to do it at the same time but they can do it at different times of the week we have people who prefer to do work on weekends maybe they're stay-at-home parents Others prefer to do it in regular work hours, but it just really doesn't matter because as long as the timeline is agreed, everyone sticks to their deadlines and we can collaborate async on Slack and Google Documents, it's fine. The data protection piece is there. So if something goes beyond UK GDPR or EU GDPR, if it's absolutely required that the person has access to sensitive data, then obviously we need to go into that. But in many cases, we don't even have to go into that extent. So what we have in the contracts within the team and in the contracts with the clients, everything is covered in detail. So everyone knows where they stand and there is trust and transparency in that way in the work.
1: Yeah. And just to explain for listeners, I believe you've got sort of team members or experts, consultants, whatever you want to call them, in some of the different countries, like I think Brazil and...
2: UK, Bulgaria, even let's say me being in Ireland, someone being in Bulgaria and someone else in the UK, now we have two types of GDPR because the UK <laughs> is under the EU GDPR. Yeah. And there are subtle but still important differences that need to be considered.
1: Yeah, fair enough. What
2: you were saying earlier about you know the evolution of the founder and, and trying different things. There is best.com, but there are also separate initiatives that, that are not necessarily invested.com, maybe someday they will become part of it. Yeah. I think that's really fun to explore, investing time for little experiments. And one of them right now is creating something called therapistireland.com, therapist singular. And essentially a lot of friends and acquaintances have been asking, like, oh, how should I pick a therapist? Do you know a good therapist? And it's the same questions and it can be very hard for people to find out what's the right thing to do in a situation like that. So I just decided to create an FAQ and it's open for people to send more questions. So we gradually build it. So that's not something that has like a strategy for monetization. I just thought, let me do that because people will benefit from it anyway. And by doing it, if there is something about it that makes it into a business at one point, great we would be bigger than bestie.com i don't know we would become part of best.com i don't know either but i think that's the fun of it's again related to people it's related to my purpose and i just enjoy doing it so yeah that's it
1: i love that yeah and i mean just from a purely service client focus yeah i mean something that could be offered to clients in ireland anyway going through corporate programs. We've got some additional information if you want to give it to your staff, if they want to take this further and seek help and stuff. Any other side projects or is that the only one?
2: I'm in the process of making my first angel investment that I'm really excited about. Wow. It's the mental health space. I can't disclose the company yet for obvious reasons. Oh watch I'm really, this space. Really excited. Yes, yeah, so digital health, mental health, but especially mental health, because it's related to the field of psychotherapy and helping. People live healthier, happier, but especially on the emotional and psychological side, there is a book idea that I'm working on. But you know, there are quite a few things, so they don't progress at the same pace, and I think that's okay. Yeah, yeah. And that was something that, again, as a solo entrepreneur, I've been looking for where the stars aligning, (laughs) where things happening, (laughs) so that. I can get things done in as few hours as possible, not compromise quality and achieve what I want. And if something just feels like it's against the flow, it just doesn't make sense to focus on it at that specific time, perhaps. Maybe at a different time, you know, with, again, with product market fit, it's not only the piece about the market is not just if the market needs it, but do people have the budgets? Is there urgency? Are they aware of the problem? Is the pain so strong enough that they're willing to pay? It is a lot about timing. Like if you started building electric cars when people were just riding horses, yeah. I mean, you have an amazing product, but the market is not ready for it.
1: Yeah, we see that a bit don't we, in the tech world. If I turn to person marketing fit, So over the years, my thinking has evolved. Years ago, I would say, well, there's certain marketing channels that just work and you should do them as a business. And this would be my advice. Let's do this system and get it happening and stuff. But over the years, I've seen HR businesses all do it differently and do it well because it matches their personal preferences, strengths, sometimes resources. So I know One business, that it's all around profiling the team with team photos and things like that. Others, they just love doing simple little videos made from their phone and uploaded to LinkedIn every day. Others like to go and give speeches on the lecture circuit. Others love writing stuff. And I've realized that that just tends to perform better. So of the 100 different marketing things you could do, just choose a few, but make sure they match what you are good at or what you enjoy and stuff like that. I know you kind of think along similar lines so can I ask back in the day, in the early days of Vesi.com, you were probably thinking, oh, I need to do set marketing things. Is that what you did or did you take a different approach?
2: That is what I did. When we launched our 2019 diversity in the workplace report, it was an amazing opportunity for SEO. And we didn't do SEO because mm-hmm. it's just something that I genuinely find utterly boring, which can be a problem, right? And I do have background in digital marketing. I have led a marketing team of a tech company, but it just wasn't my thing. I felt I would be spending more energy creating it rather than, I don't know, just the ROI didn't make sense for me. And I focused on community building, events, online community, thought leadership, creating the reports, just really making sure that the people who should know about the company know about the company as individuals or as organizations rather than create noise online. Mm. Some people will be really upset I'm saying SEO is uh, noise. That's not what I mean. It's like if you create many, many articles just to get the traffic, I don't think it's the best approach perhaps for B2B. I think we can be more efficient. Now that was four years ago. Now it's very different. If you just look at LinkedIn, I get maybe five messages every day someone trying to sell me something it's maybe i should change my settings <laughs> but it's really exhausting it's actually ruining channels like that completely
1: yeah. yeah like i always say i think coronavirus changed it all because everyone remote online and where can i go to where's everyone hanging out Oh, linkedin well i'll just send everyone messages on LinkedIn or I'll post a lot more on LinkedIn. So LinkedIn's great, but yeah, as you say, it's changed. So maybe isn't as powerful or whatever as it maybe used to be. But yeah, I like the fact that you went down the thought leadership, your amazing reports that you guys produce, which sort of set you guys apart. And then, you know, community building and thought leadership around all of that and showing that you can take a different path and sort of set yourself apart. Any sort of final advice for people running HR related businesses on how they could either market or grow their businesses
2: listen to the people it's usually listening in the conversations to what people have to say that will tell you what services they need how to sell them even how to price them it's all about listening Mm -hmm. well asking as well Mm -hmm. there is a great book called the mom test by rob fitzpatrick so if you think of your HR business as a startup and as new services, as ideas that you might turn into startups, you might enjoy the book. Now, I'm not sure if the book is right for the Irish context in the sense, so essentially the premise of the book is if you ask your mom about your startup idea, she will say it's great. It's possible that in Ireland, everyone will tell you it's great because they don't want to say how (laughs) bad it is. But it gives you great advice as to how to ask questions, how to have non-meetings. So essentially how to get input without people feeling like you're putting them in a meeting. So non-meetings, etc. To get that input and learn without saying, hey, Ben, I have this idea. What do you think? And then Ben is telling me, oh, this is a wonderful idea, Vessi. Or yeah, it sounds great. Yeah. It's much harder for people to say, no, it's a horrible idea. Don't do it.
1: What's it called again? The mom test, is it?
2: The mom test.
1: Okay. So if you're listening to this on the go, we'll have the link to that in the show notes because that sounds excellent. And I'm often saying to people, look, I can give you my view on your services and positioning and stuff like that, but I'm not your buyer. So you need to get out there and study it and learn and get feedback. So that sounds like a great way to do it. And yeah, people tend to be nice when you ask them, what do you think of my idea? And then they will say, oh yeah, that's great. The only time I would say that was different is when I was an HR manager, I was going around the UK and Ireland doing a change management HR type leadership program workshop. And in Ireland, the UK, I would say, this is my theory on something. And the people in the room go, yeah, yeah, that's really good, Ben. That's interesting. Thank you. I then got sent by my boss to run the same thing in Amsterdam. And I said, this is my idea. What do you think? And everyone went, Ben, I think you're full of crap. And I'll tell you why you're full of crap. So I love the honesty in the Netherlands. It's absolutely brilliant. One of my favorite places. Vessi, if people want to learn more about you and about the business itself, what should they do next?
2: You can check us out on Vessi.com and you can reach out to me personally at Vessi at Vessi.com. And maybe you have questions related to therapy in Ireland that you haven't been able to answer for yourself. So feel free to reach out or it could be DEI related, whatever.
1: Cool. We'll we'll have the website for that one as well. Vessi, thank you very much for sharing your insights. I love sort of diving into the person market purpose market fit concept. And I think it's a really important one for people to take away. So thank you very much for sharing it. And thanks for your time today.
0: Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us today on A Better HR Business, the podcast that explores the world of HR consulting and HR tech businesses. For show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Remember to subscribe and share the show with any friends who are busy growing a HR business. Thanks and see you next time.